Hey guys, Joe Miles here with ICO Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, boys, episode 42, want to apologize for the delay this week. We were headed to Kentucky and decided to record the podcast in the truck on the way because we are super busy this time of year, and the plan was to record the podcast in the truck, which we did, but the audio, because we did it on a GoPro, was not very good. Um, it, you know, the sound of the truck and the GoPro was a little bit far away from me. So instead of putting out kind of a junky audio version of the podcast, we decided to reshoot it today. And it is, well, I mean, we're recording it the day before it's going to launch. It's Thursday. It's going to launch tomorrow on Friday. So guys, apologize about that. Episode 42, Mission Whitetail. This is going to be all about the rut and season update because that's what we're getting into is the rut right now. I got Lucas here with me. He's going to be doing question and answer. Thought I'd start off uh, with the two deer that I've killed in the last week. Yep. So it's been a pretty good Texas and Kentucky. Uh, real good, actually. So start off with Texas. Completely different world down there. You know, this, this ranch that I hunted – at one time was 32,000 acres, low fence, free range, Golden Triangle, Maverick County, the, the best part of the free range hunting in Texas, incredible genetics. This property is probably the most intensely managed whitetail Disneyland that I've ever been to, completely different than anything I've ever hunted. I mean, they literally... I mean, anything that you could think of to help improve whitetail, they do. I'm talking about culling 150-inch, eight and nine points. Uh, They shoot 40 bucks and 40 does a year no matter what off this property. They have every possible uh, habitat improvement. They've got full-time water, full-time feed. I mean, it, it literally is Disney World for whitetail hunting. And I was very fortunate to be invited down to hunt this property. And the, the I guess, property manager and another buddy of mine, Martin, kind of hooked this whole thing up. And, man, got down there, had a particular buck I was hunting, did not realize how big of an eight-point he was, knew he was big, but he had a big body for a Texas buck. We figured he was in the low 150s. Once we put a tape on him, 161 and 7.8, so almost 162-inch 8-point. Got pictures of him on my Instagram uh, page for anybody yep. who wants to take a look at him. So giant buck, giant 8-point, just very fortunate. And, and, again, completely different. You know, there, there's so many different styles, if you will, of hunting or types of hunting. You know, you, you go from the 
public land, mobile stuff, which we've done, you know, in our, in our 20s. We did a lot of that in Mississippi and other places, you know, doing, doing the public land thing to private leases in the Midwest, permission pieces in the Midwest where it's 100% DIY, do-it-yourself, you know, to going into a completely managed place, say in Iowa, with preset stands to this this deal down in, in Texas that, that was, you know, completely set up, ready to go, and it was a matter of getting in, getting a good wind, and hoping the buck showed up, which he did. So just a completely different type of hunting than, than what we're accustomed to. Yep. But, hey, I'll take it. I love it. It's, you know, something different. And anytime – you know, I can personally do something different in the whitetail world. I want to give it a try, see what it's all about, and and this was pretty neat. Yeah. So now let's let's fast forward to we get home from Texas, and the plan now is to start our Midwest rut cycle, and first stop is Kentucky. So get into the. I guess I got into the office when we leave, Lucas. Monday. Yep. So I. Did I make it to the office on Friday? I can't remember. But anyway, we got we got packed up over the weekend, and the plan was to drive to Kentucky and potentially drive on to Kansas, depending on how long we stayed in Kentucky, or fly to Kansas or drive back home because you you never really know. Yeah. You know, we we've got a bunch of cameras out in Ohio, Kentucky, Kansas, and we're kind of We've got our work and everything set up so that we can be flexible and move and and groove and kind of go where we need to go depending on what's hot. And we've been getting pictures of this buck in Kentucky coming through our funnel. And as a lot of you guys will remember, we had Bobby Worthington come down in March to this – not – wasn't really specifically for this property. I really wanted to spend time with Bobby in hill country and big country because that's kind of his expertise is hunting big wood country, finding funnels or big wood hill country, finding specific funnels. And his style is you concentrate on the pre-rut and the rut. When the temperature's right, you have your preset stands in your rut funnels and you sit there until you kill the deer. That's kind of his philosophy. You're stacking the deck. You're not going in early and blowing things up. You're getting in when the conditions are right, and you're hunting that funnel. And we looked at some hill country and some big country and walked it, and he was not super impressed with the areas that we went and looked. And so I said, I, know, I tell you what, there, there's a 80-acre track that's one heck of a funnel. Let's ride over there and look at that. And, and we got in there, and, and he was just like, Joe, and – all my years of doing this, this might be the best funnel that I have ever witnessed. He said, as long as there's not an earthquake or some crazy <laughs> zombie apocalypse, this spot is going to be good for a long, long time. And to the point that he was like, man, if you can buy this place, you ought to buy it. And um, I, I would love to, but unfortunately it's not for sale right now. But, you know, it is for quote-unquote lease. So Bobby and I kind of tightened that place up. We dropped a few trees, scrub trees, to tighten up the trails, made some mock scrapes in there. We picked out the best tree for a north wind set or or really a west wind and then an east wind. 
and we actually got the west wind stand set. And something I really liked about what Bobby did was his attention to detail with setting up the stand. You know, we, we literally ratchet strapped some saplings into that big tree. I know you saw that, Lucas, yep. to, to get more cover up there. Because you're you're in March, you know, leaves are on everything or, or they're getting on everything depending on how cold of a climate you're in. So it's going to be all green or greening up then. So it looks like you got a ton of cover. But when you're going to be hunting in October when the leaves are off, it's bare up there. Yeah. So you got to be predicting or planning for that. So not only did we ratchet strap a bunch of saplings over to the tree, we took a bunch of twine and you know had like brush tied to those saplings and basically built a nest up around that tree to help with with breakup so i mean frankly that buck was killed in march you know we we put in all the work in march to get that place just dialed in got cameras in there so we could see what was going on lucas and i went back in late August to do some early season scouting to see if we could get on something first of September in some bean fields, and we didn't see much of anything. We saw a lot of bucks, but they were very young, Mm -hmm. and we just said, you know what, with Kentucky, we're going to come back the pre-rut. You know, that's the tentative plan is what we were going to do. So we, we went back in there, and we freshened up all the mock scrapes. We cut the camera on, repositioned the cameras, just fresh batteries, got everything good to go, and got out of there. And sure enough, middle of October, this big 10 point with an acorn point starts coming through there at night. And, you know, I, I, I hate to keep talking about Bobby, but he, he's got so much experience, and he's such a good hunter. You know, one one of his quotes is, and I'll probably mess this up a little bit, but he says, if, you know, you see a buck once, that's chance. If you see a buck twice, that's coincidence. But if you see him a third time, meaning all through the same area, that's a pattern. And not only did this buck come through there three times, it was probably five or six times the last two weeks of October. So I felt really good good about that deer coming through there actually got a couple daylight pictures of him and we're watching the weather and get home from texas and we see that it's going to be raining basically all day saturday or start saturday afternoon rains there all day sunday rains half a day monday and then breaks monday afternoon and then the temperatures plummet for tuesday wednesday thursday then it starts to kind of heat back up Friday. So the plan was to get there when the rain broke, be in the stand Monday afternoon, and then hunt. We, we were planning on possibly, depending on what the deer movement was, sitting all day Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday morning, and then coming back Friday or Saturday, and then heading to Kansas Sunday or Monday. That was the, the tentative plan. And... We get there, and I guess there was a little bit, not a little bit, there was a learning curve or a mistake that we made, yep. and that was defining the access. 
there's a river on this property where the big bluff is, and it was dry when we got there in September. And I thought, man, we will just throw on some hip boots, knee boots, or waders and wade up that river and get into the stand. We had talked about taking a boat, but the place we would have to put the boat in is where I thought this buck was bedding, and I didn't want to go in there and blow him out because he was on a pretty good afternoon pattern coming through the funnel. And I didn't want to I didn't want to take the boat in there because we would have to go right by where he was bedded. So I said, okay, the next best thing is just to put on waders, come in from the road, get in the river, and come up the river and walk up to the spot. But I hadn't done that. I hadn't even done the boat trip. So the moral of that story is when you think you have your access – actually do the access. Yep. Don't just look at it on a map or look at it from a distance because you, until you get boots on the ground and actually figure it out, you don't have the access. Yeah. And that was an oversight on my part. Um, you know, you, 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 you make mistakes and you learn from it. That'll never happen again. Yeah. You know, I, I know now, again, to, to verify access, especially in, tre- uh, not treacherous, but in hill country or in terrain that's hard to navigate, Flat ground's a little bit easier. Yeah, you might have to go through a briar bed or something like that. But what we found is when we got down in that river, the water was way too deep. It had rained for three days and was too high. The current was too swift, so there was no way to get in there from that side. So we backed out and had to come in from the top, which was absolutely not ideal. But that's the only way we had to get in there. So we figured it out. We got in there. Get in there the first afternoon. Go in there, get set up. I carried in a camera stand, climb up, got the camera stand set. Lucas got up in the tree, sat down, kind of cooling off, start looking at pictures. And at 2.38, we had a daylight picture of that buck. We were standing at the base of the tree at 3 o'clock. So first thing through my mind, I try not to be a negative nilly, but first thing through my mind is we blew him out of here. You know, we didn't have the access right. Huge mistake. We came in from the top. We blew him out of here. So I'm out of sorts, man. I'm not happy. Lucas is trying to calm me down. Yeah. He's not doing a very good job of it. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm just completely out of sorts, and we're going to stay the course, right? We're going to stay the course, see what happens. Get out of there that night. Don't see a deer. See two big coyotes. Get out of there unscathed, I guess. Get back. Long day of driving. Um, Frustrating evening hunt because of that picture. And go to bed early, 9.30. Hit the hay. Get up early the next morning looking through pictures. And lo and behold, he's right back through there at 9 45 at night and i'm like okay confidence is starting to build that's what's so funny about you know whitetail hunting is you, you can be at the highest highs and lows at lows and mentally you've yeah. got to just try and stay on the best even keel that you can stay on it's not easy to do yeah so we're like all right we're, we're back in the game obviously we didn't blow him out of here he came right back through there you know obviously it's dark 
So kind of fired up. We get back to the stand that morning. Starts to get daylight. Perfect wind. Beautiful frosty morning. 29 degrees. You know, birds are waking up. And I look down to my right at one of the mock scrapes that had been completely rained in and leaves had covered up. And as it's getting daylight, I'm like, oh, my God, he opened that up when he came back through there. And I throw my binoculars on it. I mean, it is fresh dirt. Yeah. I mean, he had just pawed it up. And Lucas, after I looked at it, I was like, man, that's the, he opened that scrape back up. Lucas said, yeah, I was looking at that as it was getting light. And um, I said, yeah, well, I mean, it's, I looked at him on binoculars. That, that he opened that back up last night. And so, obviously, now confidence is at an all-time high. And, you know, we're sitting there. It's getting daylight. gets to be about 8 o'clock. You know, I'd had pictures of him at 8.30 in the morning. And I look out to the right of where we're sitting and coming up through the draw just like he is supposed to do, like it has been planned out, like it had been envisioned, I say, there's a deer. And then it's a buck and then binoculars on him, and it's him. First deer that we've seen in there is the deer we want to kill. Yep. And here he comes up through the funnel, crosses a drainage, hops up in there, gets on the bench, starts working his way to us, and, I mean, it's just absolutely how we had it drawn up. Lucas has got the camera on him. He stops where we had to access, and, and again, it's the only way to get in there. And he's actually smelling where we had to come across and got drawn. There's a nice hole through there. It, it's brushy where he is, but there's a nice hole through there. Ask Lucas if he's on him. He verifies. I sent it, hit him, 10 ringed him, 24 yards, spun, got out of there, ran down into the bottom and saw him fall over. Looked at him through the binoculars. He's laying there dead. All done by. 8.30, I mean, just a perfect rut funnel hunt. Yep. Could not have been any better. You know, again, we killed that deer in March. Putting in the work during the off-season, setting everything up, and then the timing's right, going when the weather was right, and just a, a, a perfect rut funnel hunt. Yep. So that's kind of the season update of, of what we've done up until this point. Lucas has got some questions we're going to go through about the rut. And we'll dive into those. Guys, again, I apologize about this podcast being a couple days late. It's hunting season, and, man, we're, we're hunters first, so we kind of got a break and go. We're going to do a, another one. I'm going to try to get Clint Campbell with Truth from the Stand on next week. We'll film that while we're in Kansas or video that while we're in Kansas. It's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, we'll t- touch on that a little bit more maybe before we sign off today. But, uh, Lucas, let's dive into these questions, take them one at a time, and, and, and all things rut, boys, because I know a bunch of people are hunting right now and or driving to where they're going to be hunting. And so it's it's our magic time. Yep. What you got, Lucas? Let's go. So you've kind of, you know, touched base on what, you've, what you're going to be doing. Um, can you expand on more of what your current plans are? Yep. So right now the plan is Sunday. We're headed to Kansas. And we, we really, we, we've got intel on a couple of bucks, but nothing super solid. Mm-hmm. We, we don't know exactly where we're going to be hunting or what deer we're going to be hunting. 
but there's a ton of cameras out and we're going to get a lot of intel once we get there and kind of put a plan together. I mean, I, I have the tracks set up. We'd yeah. have to tweak a few stands, and there is a superstar nine-point out there with a big flyer. And that is kind of what we're going to be going after. But there are some other deer around. There are some other big deer around. So we're going to play it by ear right now. Okay. And kind of when we get there Sunday, we're going to – devise a plan, execute it, and we'll be hunting, you know, rut funnels. Having said all that, we do have everything reset in Ohio, so that is still on the radar as well. I, I think the key right now to, to rut is if you've got multiple properties, multiple states that you can hunt. Not everybody has that, obviously, and they're, they're, some guys are focused on one property, and that's all good. Um, but, but if you do have – multiple properties, multiple states that you have access or permission to be hunting on, being flexible. Yeah. And you don't want to leave deer to go hunt unknown deer. Like if you've got a buck mm -hmm. in a place, especially this time of year, stay on him because you never know what you could be getting on. Yeah. Um, so, so that would be, you know, I guess a, a point is don't leave deer to go find deer. So that's the plan right now. Kansas coming up possibly Ohio, and then if nothing pops in Ohio, we'll be hitting, Kansas, uh, we'll be hitting Ohio late season. Mm -hmm. So right now, Kansas, for the foreseeable future, for okay. the rut, and then we'll hit Mexico slash possibly Texas in December, and then January, Ohio. Yep. So if, if everything goes as planned, that's what we'll be up to. Yeah, sounds exciting. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, how would you hunt rut funnels? Um, and if you didn't have, like, a, a rut funnel, how would you hunt Yep. during the rut? So, I, I am on the same mindset as Bobby and have been. Uh, after spending time with him and really picking his brain about his years and years and years of funnel experience, funnels are even more important now than they ever have been for rut hunting, mm -hmm. pre-rut and rut hunting. And f funnels, there's – I don't think – I didn't have as an acute sense of what a real funnel is, you know, as I, sh as I probably should have and as what Bobby thinks a funnel is. I mean, it is a non – navigable, if that's a word, terrain feature that basically they have no choice. Okay. They have to come through it. And that's what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've got any terrain, hills, um, you know, any lakes, things that they're just not, I mean, obviously they could swim it, but, yeah. but things that they're not typically going to go through, that is what you're looking for okay and it may be where four or five are in this place in kentucky seven different long-range travel corridors all come together around this giant bluff that they would have to have repelling gear to get up and down hmm. and there's a river right there too yeah so it, it's just a it, it's just a natural terrain feature that funnels them down into one set point 
Okay. And so that's what you're looking for. And they're not easy to find, but, you know, guys that hunt giant pieces of public, you can find them there. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the point is where you can is to have stands hung. I mentioned this on Mission Whitetail Season Update the other day, is to have preset stands on either side of the funnel. So everything's set and done. Have your access um, – let me repeat that <laughs> – have your access dialed in, figured out, and actually you've experienced it and done it. Yep. You've actually walked it. This is how I'm going to get from the base of the stand out. This is how I'm going to get out in. And then everything is set and ready. And then when you get that temperature drop, you know, and, and what we mean by temperature drop is anything five degrees or cooler mm-hmm. than the average temperature end of October, into that first week of November and onward, that's when you want to be in that funnel. And you want to hunt it as much as you can, as often as you can. Be persistent. Yep. That's the that's the key. Is it? It may not have a whole lot of sign in the funnel. I mean, in, in the absolute per- perfect world, is you'd have scrapes on either end, or maybe even inside the funnel, old historic rubs. I mean, that that's a perfect world funnel that you can just camp out in for pre-rut rut, and eventually a good buck's gonna come through there in daylight. Mm-hmm. So. That is how I hunt a funnel. Okay. Sit there, sit there, sit there, sit there, sit there. All right, your second part of your question was, what if you don't have huge terrain features and you're in flat ground like we are here in the swamps in South Carolina, for example? You can have, I call them almost macro funnels, and it's where you back out on your map. Okay. For example, I have two funnels, in what I call funnels, but they, they, Bobby would laugh at them, but it's because they're on such flat ground with no terrain features whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So from a macro perspective, looking at the map, I look at like these food plots that get a lot of pressure. You know, a lot of guys go in and hunt these food plots. Mm-hmm. So that's funneling the mature deer around these food plots. And then there'll be some maybe some white oaks in an area. There, there'll be a, a river oxbow in an area. Okay. There'll be, like th- this one has got a fenced-in duck pond around it where nothing can jump in the, the duck pond because they save the food in the yep. duck pond for the ducks. So I look at that from a micro, from a macro perspective from a high level and and I look and I go okay you got this food plot this heavily hunted you got this fenced in duck pond you got an oxbow of the lake and when you look at it it starts to funnel the movement through there okay and and it's and then what you can do is go into the tightest point of that like on this one spot it's a food plot in this fence and it's probably 150 yards across Mm -hmm. which is too far for a bow hunt yeah so then what i'll do is put in some mock scrapes and drop some crappy trees that i have permission to to cut down Mm -hmm. and kind of drop those and hinge cut them and pile them up to try and force these trails closer together okay and so that's that's what i've done to create a funnel where there wasn't one so so look at the 
macro features, the big features, you know, if, you, if you're on public and, you know, this is an access path where a lot of guys hunt and historically you know that, okay, that's a funnel because that's going to push most of the mature deer. So you can use that as a buffer mm-hmm. that's going to push the deer, you know, a certain way. Yep. And so that's, that's increased your odds because you know the deer are going to be pushed around that area. Yeah. And then if you can do a few other things, like there's a river there or a big lake or a big highway or something that they're, they're not going to want to cross, they might. Mm-hmm. Again, all right, th- now you've stacked it a little closer and you're pinching things down. Then you drop in some mock scrapes. If you can pile up brush or you can do some other things, you know, you can drop a few trees. Yeah. But you, you, you do all that, and then all of a sudden you've, you've created almost this man-made funnel it's going to stack the deck and force the travel the, the, the way they, they're going to have to move through there. Yep. So, so you, you, know, you start out with this big area that's already funneled down, but then you just make it so it's more uh, tighter and stuff like that. Tighter, tighter, tighter. Yep. Yeah, you, you tighten it down, and those mock scrapes can really help, man. Yeah. They, they really help. You, know, you can also, where it's legal, put mineral out so that they're eating on that mineral um, d- during the – the, the spring, early summer, yep. and they create those trails, you know, to and from that mineral. Now, they're not going to be hitting it during the October and November time, yeah. but those trails are already established in there. When those bucks come through there, they'll use those trails. So you can, you can put mineral in there and, and have those trails established, and all of that, you're, you're compiling things to stack the deck and the odds in your favor and for rut hunting, you know, you, I hear it a lot, man. I'm a, I'm a crappy rut hunter. You know, I'm I'm not a good rut hunter. You know, I, I don't do a good job hunting in the in the rut, and I, I get that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, the the rut can can be it, it can be insanely magical if you're in the right spot, and it can be hugely frustrating. Yeah. But the key to it is having that tight, long range funnel. And then sitting there day after day after day after day after day. Yep. That's my philosophy on hunting the rut. You, you hear a lot about guys wanting to get downwind, the doe bedding, and, you know, hunt where the does are. Yep, I get all that, and it can absolutely work. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of luck that goes into that, whereas when you're, you're creating a funnel, it's a matter of sitting there, and he has to come through there if he wants to get from point A to point B. Yeah. Now, maybe he never wants to get from point A to point B, but if he does and the historical sign shows that he does, then eventually he's going to come through there. Yeah. Now, if you don't have the time or the mental toughness, if you will, to sit there daylight to dark or sit there every single day and you get bored without seeing anything because you can you can sit on those funnels for days at a time and not yeah. see a deer and then bam there he is then, then you know you're, you're you're back home or you're sitting out by doe bedding area and you you check your camera that's in there and boom he came through there at two o'clock in the afternoon on tuesday when you're at work yeah well the funnel worked yep you know it worked you might only get one crack yeah it just you, it just takes time it just takes time you got you have to be persistent in there so that that's the the my strategy for hunting during the rut is regardless if you're in flat ra- ground you got to create your funnels mm-hmm. if you're in some terrain country you, you have the the natural made funnels. Yep. Um. So what is what are the pros and cons of mobile versus preset stands? Yep. 
That's a good question. And actually, a buddy and I were <laughs> debating in a funny way. Rendell, if you're listening to this, he, he and I um, always pick at each other because I, I prefer preset stands. Yep. And I'll, I'll dive into those. Why do I prefer preset stands? Because I don't care what guys say. When you go in to mobily hang a stand, you're going to get sweaty and you're going to make noise. Yep. And you don't always know where you're going. If you're hanging them in the dark, you don't know what that shooting lane is going to be like. You can look at it with a headlight, but you, you just don't know exactly what you're getting into. Now, yes, if you've been there during the spring and you've cleared stuff and you, you're going right in, you know exactly how high to get in the dark, then, yeah, sure, you, you can do that. So I think from a noise and scent perspective, you're better off with a preset stand. Mm-hmm. And – it's also a, a good mind trick. A lot of times you can you can talk yourself out of even going hunting when you got to go in mobile when it's eight degrees out. Man, I got to go hang the stand. Uh, this is going to be a nightmare. I got to walk three miles. You know, blah blah blah, and you end up talking yourself out of going. I think preset stands are again they're going to be my pre rut and rut stands. Yep. I also can get some preset stands on some acorn trees. And when I say preset, this isn't something that is going to be three years sitting there, right? Mm -hmm. This is going to be something that I'm going to go put in in the summer, and then I'm going to pull out after season. Mm -hmm. So it's not preset in there for two and three years at a time. I'm going to put those on known Feed trees, I'm going to put those in rut funnels, and that's going to be my preset stuff. Yeah. Now, I'm not anti-mobile. I think mobile has a huge advantage in certain situations. For example, early season, bean fields. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm glassing these bean fields or food plots like what, we have down here in the swamp. We've got food plots. We've got feed. We've got all that. And so I've got my cameras on all these different areas. And when I get a deer to pop on camera on feed in daylight one afternoon, mm-hmm. that very next day in the middle of the day, I go in there and hang the stand, go back to my office, shower, and then I slip in that afternoon and hunt. So that's kind of a preset slash mobile. Yep. But it's 98 degrees in August and September here. So to go in in the afternoon, like at 2 or 3 o'clock, and get something hung, you, you're going to be making a lot of racket, yep. and you're going to be sweating your butt off. Yeah. So that, that's kind of a quasi-mobile slash preset stand. Mm-hmm. Now – where I will be absolutely mobile, like you go in and hang and hunt, is when in Kentucky, for example, glass and bean fields early, like when we were out there in yep. late August, early September when the season came in, if we had seen a buck in an afternoon, yes, there is the absolute possibility that we would roll in there with stands on our back and get them hung and – Try and kill that buck that afternoon. Yep. Late season, back to food sources again. 
you know, we camera intel and long range scouting where you can do that when they start hitting that food and you're not going to get overly sweaty in the evenings, you know, when you're going in to hunt because it's eight degrees outside, then yeah, you can slip in and do everything at, at one time and be on the deer. Another advantage, let's say you do have a funnel on public land where you're not allowed to have permanent stands. Mm-hmm. That is a good opportunity to go in and be mobile, and that's the only option that yeah. you have, right? You, you, and it can help with wind direction. Yeah. If you're not able to hang on both sides, you know, two stands, then if you're, you're mobile, you can go in and you can hang on the north side or the south side or the east side or the west side being mobile. So there's there's advantages to both. Yep. I just think, in my experience, you're better off a preset. Yep. So I've got all of them in, in my arsenal. You know, I've got the .5 DeQuisto, .75 DeQuisto lined up, ready to go, mobile, taped up, super quiet, ready to rock and roll, efficient, quick. And I've got those. And then I've got, you know, over the years, I've collected a lot of stands over the years. And, you know, I've got all those deployed right now. Yeah. They're all out in trees right now. Hmm. So I've got my mobile stuff, and I've got a couple what I call quasi-presets that we can run in and set if we need to somewhere, like when we go to Kansas. Yep. Don't know exactly where we're going. So we'll probably go in and set stands and hunt them that afternoon. Yeah. Or we'll be mobile you know, going in to hunt funnels that have never hunted and don't have presets in. Yep. All right, so that was long-winded, but got that one answered. What's next, Lucas? Um, so what ISEO gear will you be running during the rut? Thank you for that, Lucas. That's You're very good. Getting that ICO plug in. Yep. It's great. Appreciate that. Um, next thing you know, you're going to be barking out discount codes. <laughs> uh, so ICO gear I will be running, it's all temperature-based. I don't expect any super cold temps. You know, I expect mid-20s to 50s. Okay. So I will be running, let's say it's, let's start at the extremes of those, 50s to mid-20s. That's what I'm expecting in Kansas with wind. So mid-20s, heavy base layers, Sherpa pants or Sherpa bibs. That'll be my bottoms. Uh, if we got some super wind, like 25, 30 mile an hour winds, and it's 25, I will definitely have heavy base layers. I'll put our mid-weight pan on and our Sherpa bib. Okay. That's what I'll be wearing. If it's if the wind is insane, then I could technically put our late-season bibs on because that wind can be brutal out there. Yeah. But l- normal wind, normal Kansas, 25, heavy base layer, Sherpa bib. Okay. Up top, heavy base layer, mid-weight hoodie because I want the face mask in the hood. Yep. Core warmth vest, Sherpa jacket. Hmm. Again, if we get into the heavy wind, I will take the core warmth vest off and I will go heavy base layer, mid-weight hoodie, Sherpa jacket. Over the Sherpa jacket is that new... Awesome late season vest. Okay. 180 grams of Prima Loft insulation. No bulk on the sleeves. Yep. So that 
will be my go-to if we get some serious wind. Okay. All right, now let's fast forward or move up to 50 degrees. I'll If it's windy, I'll probably have on lightweight base layer, midweight pant. I'll have on lightweight base layer top, midweight hoodie. I love that midweight hoodie because yeah. it's got the built-in face mask in the hood. And throw the core warmth vest on top of that. Okay. I'll have neck gaiter, I'll have beanie, I'll have midweight gloves, and I'll have lightweight gloves. I really like our early season gloves because the dexterity in those is yeah. so good. And I'm not a big glove guy. So I love I love the gloves, the fact that I can get my index finger and thumb finger out to feel my release if I need to type on my phone because Lucas is always no. sending me crazy messages and stuff, so i got to reply to him. No, I'm just kidding. But, yeah, so that will be my, my go-to rut ICO gear. Okay. Um, so what do you do during the lockdown phase? Yep. So that is a thing, right? Yep. Does come into heat. Mature bucks have all got them a doe, and they vanish. Yeah. Or, you know, you're not seeing much. You Maybe you're seeing two- and three-year-olds cruising and not getting any big buck action. Yep. That is really where you have to mentally stay in the game mm-hmm. because the chances of all of the mature bucks – to be locked down at the same time can happen, but it's not great. Mm-hmm. And they're going to dump that dough and go looking for another one. Yeah. And if that weather is good, they're going to be moving in daylight. Yep. So once again, long range travel funnels, daylight to dark. I think that might be one of your questions too. Yeah. But but we'll 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 get to that. Um, lockdown phase is real. But you have to stay the course, yep. right? You've got to stay in that funnel, and you got to sit there. you got to grind it out, and it literally is just a matter of time. Yep. And how do you stay mentally in it during lockdown or during the rut at all when you're not seeing a whole bunch of deer? What I do is every hour that goes by, every day that goes by, that I haven't killed one is a win if I've sat all day. Yep. I am one day closer. I am one hour closer. I am one minute closer to putting an arrow in a big mature buck. And that's the goal, right? Yep. So every minute that goes by, I'm getting more and more excited. Yeah. Because I am one minute closer to killing that next buck. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely how I look at it. When I hunted the tracks buck, I hunted seven days daylight to dark. I was a little Debbie eating Christmas <laughs> cake, oatmeal pie, double decker eating fat boy. Yeah. I had a thermos of hot chocolate. I had little Debbies. I just fatted out and I sat from daylight to dark. There were multiple days where I saw more coyotes than deer. I would see one or two coyotes and not one single deer. And that's really when I came up with this, that I'm one day closer. I'm one minute closer. So it can be hugely frustrating. And you start thinking about, man, I need to be with the family. Man, I got this going on at work. Uh, God, I could be so much more efficient. Man, I need to move. I need to change locations. Yeah. 
stay the course. Yep. Stay the course. You've got your plan developed. Stay with your plan. After the rut's over, if you need to tweak it or change it, do it. Yep. You know, they talk about insanity doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Rut funnels, you need to be insane. Yeah. Grind it out. Yep. So that that's my my thing on on lockdown. You know, you you hear guys talk about find those out of the way spots during the rut, those little brush pockets behind barns and things like that. You know, where an old buck will get a doe and push her in there, breed her for a day or two, and then go look for another one. Yep. Yeah, that can happen, but man, that's a that's a gamble. Yeah. You know that that's but but you know guys do that and guys are successful doing it. Yeah. Personally, I'd rather be in that funnel. Um, so how, when would you start hunting all day during the rut? Yep. So my experience over time is that end of October with good weather is when they start getting up on their feet earlier in the afternoons, checking scrapes and they're starting to nose around Mm -hmm. and they're staying out a little bit later in the mornings before they go to bed. Okay. So that end of October, 1st of November, say up until the 3rd, 4th, 5th of November, I'm still going to be, I'm going to extend my hours, and maybe it's a daylight to 11.30. Okay. And then a 1.30 to dark. But I'm not going to burn myself out then unless something tells me I need to. Obviously, if you are an animal, you can sit all day. Yeah. You don't want to burn yourself out until it's time to burn yourself out. And so until around like the fifth or sixth, depending, again, nothing is a absolute in hunting, but until around that fifth or sixth, I think the best days are the seventh and eighth of the rut. That's when those first does come in normally in the Midwest. Yep. And they, they really start cruising, chasing, coming through those funnels that's when I start sitting all day, and from then until Thanksgiving, if you can do it and have to do it, those are all day sits. Yep. So ease into it. If you're an animal, you're a machine. The weather's awesome. It's a lot colder than normal. You're getting tons of, you know, that's the thing about cameras, man. They just change the game. If you're getting cameras and funnels that are popping at 11 o'clock in the morning, you know, with mature deer coming through there, then, yeah, you know, you got to get in and grind and sit all day. But you know, just be strategic about it. Let your cameras tell you a lot about what's going on. Let Intel tell you. I mean, if I'm sitting there and I'm planning on getting down at 11 and a five-year-old eight-point comes bebopping through there at 1050, yep. man, that's going to be an all-day sit. I'm yep. just going to hold tight. Yep. So, yeah, that's that's the best way to answer that. Um. So, does – like, if it warms up during the rut, does that affect the rut? <laughs> I've argued with some biologists about this in the past. Biologists say the weather has nothing to do with the rut. They're still going to get their breeding done. That that may be true, mm-hmm. but guess what? If it gets unseasonably hot, they're going to be doing all that at night. Yeah. So the rut has been affected. Yep. Whereas they may have been breeding in 24-hour, throughout 24 hours, yep. all day long. Now it's condensed to a 10- or 11-hour window, and – it absolutely affects the rut for me as a hunter. Yeah. So that that is a time that I will pull out of a funnel. Mm-hmm. If it gets unseasonably warm, like if we get to Kansas and it's 
68, 70 degrees, you know, in the afternoons, we're, we're going to pull out of there after about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Again, we're going to have to have intel. If we do get intel that says, no, there's still deer moving through there, then we'll stay. Yep. But weather absolutely, hot weather absolutely affects the rut, and it shuts down a lot of daylight movement. So if that happens, I mean, put one and one together, get two, and you don't have to kill yourself then. Hunt those mornings up until it starts warming up, then pull out. You know, if you, your brain's been killing you about spending time with the family, you know, do something in the afternoon yeah. with the family, get some work done, then dive back in there. Um, again, if you're an animal and you have – your chances go way up when you're in a rut funnel during the rut, yep. regardless of weather, because there is a chance. It's not a good chance. There's a chance he'll come through there. I think, what, two or three years ago, I'll have to ask Adam, but he killed a 200 on like a 75-degree day <laughs> in the afternoon. I don't know that he was hunting a funnel, but he did. I think he was. He was on a creek. I'll have to ask him about that. But he killed his last 200, 72 or 75 degrees, 4 o'clock in the afternoon in, in November. So I, I don't think he was hunting all day. I think he had gone in there to hunt. I need to ask him about that. We'll, we'll get back to everybody on that. But, again, if you're an animal, you're a machine, yeah, rut, sit all day. But the weather, absolutely hot weather affects the rut. Yep. It suppresses movement to the night and early in the mornings. So going on, you know, the weather and stuff like that, do you um, believe in weather apps like 100%? Um, do you think they're true? I think it's a tool that you can look at and plan, but you got to verify. Yep. I did a thing on this the other day on Mission Whitetail season update that we do on the Mission Whitetail Instagram, Facebook pages. I went down to the swamp, northeast wind. It's what every single, all three weather apps. It was uh, Storm Radar, Weather Underground, and Weather.com. All three of those apps, those are the apps that I use to get my weather from. Yep. All three of them had northeast wind. I get to the swamp. Every one of them showed a southwest wind. Like at the time, you know, you have a at the time, what it's doing yeah. right now. But the forecast had all been northeast, huh. and the at time, it was southwest. And sure enough, I get down there, and it's a southwest wind. So did I go home and cry? No. I had a funnel set up because the rut's going on in South Carolina. Yep. It was then. It is now. And I had a stand on both sides of the funnel, so I just went to the other side. Yep. If I'd only had one set stand, I wouldn't have been able to do it that morning. If I was mobile, yes, I could have gone in to the other side. And if I, But if I hadn't have pre-scouted that stand and known, or that tree and known how it's set up, then I would have been hanging in the dark on a mobile setup not the best advantage then. Yeah. So, I, no, I do not trust them 100%, but they can be a good tool, and they do get it wrong a lot. And if there are any engineers, guys that understand all this stuff, that want to come out with a foolproof wind direction and temperature thing, I'm all in. I want to hear about it. Yep. Anybody that knows one that I, I didn't just mention that they really like, that tends to be accurate, Share it with us, boys. Let it, let us know which ones you use, and we'll share it to everybody because we're all trying to get better. Yeah. All right, next. Um, so this is actually the last question that I have. Um, what 
time of year have you killed most of your bucks? Well, this has it been around? You know, is there? I guess there is. Is there a date time frame? Yep. So let's let's uh, shrink that down even more, and let's say the bigger deer. Okay. Because it is kind of interesting, like Midwest bucks that I've killed in the Midwest over one seventy. Uh, yeah, let's just let's just drill it down to there. I have killed most of those deer right around Halloween. Okay. Give or take before Halloween, two days, after Halloween, four or five days. And I've killed them in the afternoon. And I have known about those deer. Yep. So I've known about the deer. Uh, well, I mean, for example, this Kentucky buck. Yeah. I killed him on Halloween, right? Wasn't it Halloween? Yeah. Yep. Killed him Halloween morning. Um, he's not a 170. But he's a mature buck that we were going after. Yeah. The three one eighties in the Midwest. One was killed mid to late October. One was killed right around Halloween, and the other one was killed on the third or fourth of November. So yeah, most of them are that end of October when the weather was normally cooler than normal. Okay. And they were killed in the afternoons. Hmm. So. That's been my my experience. I've killed deer in the rut, like in the heat of the rut. Yeah, I've killed them early season. I've killed them late season. But if I if I've known about a buck, the big mature bucks that I've known about, I've killed them Halloween first week of November. Hmm. Yep. Yep. That was uh, that was all the questions that I had. All right, guys. Well, that will wrap us up with this podcast. Again, my apologies. This is the third time I've apologized for it, <laughs> for coming out a little bit later than normal. We'll try and get back on schedule. Again, we're hunting now, so it's hard, you know, to get uh, guests, guys in. You know, everybody's hunting right now, so it's hard to get guys in. I'm going to try, and I may eat these words, to get Clint Campbell with Truths from the Stand on for the next one's. If he's listening to this, he has no idea that I'm about to reach out <laughs> to him. But I'm going to send him a text. And the reason I want to do that, I think Clint has had 400-plus podcasts. Hmm. He has interviewed almost every big buck killer under the sun, yeah. biologists that specialize in scrapes, specialize in radio tracking deer, and I'm going to put together a list of questions about weather, about scrapes, about big, about buck beds, about rubs, about strategy, and just go on and on with questions and see if he has drawn conclusions about all of these topics from talking to hundreds yeah. of big buck killers and biologists and see if we can kind of condense this down and draw some set points or some some conclusions on all of this stuff. So, guys, stay tuned next week. That'll wrap us up this week. Good luck to everybody. Man, I know everybody's going. This is what us whitetail bow hunters live for this time of year. Get after it, guys. Keep the positive mindset. Again, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, if you scroll through Instagram right now, all you see is dead buck after dead buck after dead big buck. 
Don't get frustrated. It'll happen. It's coming. Get after it, boys. Next time, looking forward to it.